Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 124 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Gavin. That is Fia. Mike is off enjoying himself today, uh, because at the time you're listening to this, yesterday was his birthday. Uh, but uh, yeah, so a big, big happy birthday, Mike. Uh, Everyone, so, cheers to Mike and happy birthday to him. Yeah. Uh, but he and uh, his local friends in Syracuse uh, went out and, and decided to celebrate on Monday instead. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Most of his friends, I think, are, or at least a lot of his friends are teachers. So I'm sure that just works better for their teaching schedule. I don't know how being a teacher works. So um, Yeah. But yeah. So happy birthday, buddy. And uh, we'll we'll get Mike back next week. Uh, but for this week... Um, if you remember last episode, I mentioned that we were going to maybe do it about a group of lizards, uh, but I wasn't sure what they had for a fossil record. So, uh, you know, the whole point of this is a paleontology podcast. So if I, they don't have much of a fossil record, it's not as fun, but I decided to go with that group of lizards anyway, because boy, are they strange. Uh, and you can probably tell by the title of the, the episode that we're going to be talking about geckos today, uh, a group that I'm really excited about. Yeah, but, me too. Uh, before we get into the, the meat of the episode, Fia, can you keep some house for us? Of course. As always, don't forget to rate the show on whatever platform you listen to us on, and to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and to give us feedback about the show and any future topics you would like to hear on the podcast. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, be sure to fill out our guest form and... All of that stuff can be found in the show notes. And so with that, Gavin, uh, what's next episode topic? Well, as it happens, next episode ends in a five, which usually means that it's not my episode anymore. Uh, and yep. so next week, uh, we're going to hear from Fia. Fia's going to have an episode for us. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we haven't had a Fia episode in a while with, uh, yep. you know, your your whole transition to, uh, to with Florida. With my mayhem. <laughs> Yeah, you know, moving yeah. from from swamp to swamp and and starting a PhD, you know, just you know, a yeah. casual thing. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm really excited to to hear about what you've been cooking up out in the seagrass. Yep. yep. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll remain mysterious. So tune in next time for Pia's episode. Yeah. Uh, with that, since we don't have today in history for Mike, Fia, uh, what yep. are you cooking up in the seagrass for this week? <laughs> Right, yeah. So last um, last time we talked about turtle grass, and um, Gavin guessed that manatees ate that, and I said no. So now we're going to talk about manatee grass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I would like to uh, make a disclaimer that uh, manatees aren't really that picky, and they probably do eat the other grass as well. It's just gotcha. this one is like their Named favorite. Named for them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so this is um, manatee grass. It is Serengodium filiforme, um, is the scientific name. They, uh, again, form meadows, just like the other grass in sandy or mud locations in the Caribbean, Gulf of Mexico, and also found in the Bahamas and Bermuda. They can occur um, to depths about 20 meters, which is 66 feet for all you Americans listening. (laughs) And... uh, even deeper where the water is really clear. So That's definitely deeper than I would have thought. Right. Because right. I know water filters out sunlight like really quickly. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, they're unlike a lot of other like seaweeds. These are like actually plants, plants. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. So they, they need a lot of light. So that surprised me that it's that, it's that deep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I just want to paint a, a picture for you guys that um, Thalassia, which is the, the turtle grass that we talked about last episode, imagine that type of seagrass to be like fettuccine noodles. Okay. They're, they're wide and then they're flat. I'm just trying Delicious. to paint a picture of, of, of what, what these different uh, seagrass we're going to be going through are going to be okay. like. Because they are different in their structure and their shape, and that really uh, changes how they um, like interact with the environment and like organisms yeah. and everything. And so the manatee grass that we're talking about today, that's more of like a spaghetti noodle, and like literally a spaghetti noodle because hmm. when you like touch it, it's fully rounded. It's the okay. The strands are long and stringy, and then they are round. They're not um, flat, which I think is really cool to feel because normally, like, blades of grass, they're, they're flat. And these yeah. ones are – they're rounded, which is, which is pretty cool. And, yeah, so I, I'll just do a seagrass corner um, in the next episode, too. So stay tuned okay. for the next noodle of seagrass. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so definitely then the uh, type of seagrass that was uh, that I snorkeled a lot around when I was in Belize. I talked to a whole bunch about you know my trip to Belize. You know, in yeah. like episode like two or three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so way back when, and uh, thinking back, the the fettuccine comparison definitely sort of triggered my memory, and that that's definitely what it was. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, well, it's awesome. usually the most um, common, like, it's usually the dominant seagrass, unless there's been some sort of giant disturbance. Okay. Because they are just so, like, strongly rooted, and um, they're more of, like, like, a long-living species, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Fia. And now let's let's talk about geckos. In my opinion, the cutest lizards. Uh, I concur. They they're just so stinking cute. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, just for a little bit of background, I have a pet gecko. I've had her for about six years. Um, I also had a pet gecko when I was a child. Yeah, and they they just make really fun pets. Um, yeah. They, depending on what kind, uh, mine tends to, I have a leopard gecko. We'll talk more about them throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, by far, I think the most common pet yeah. reptile. That's what uh, I had the, too. Yeah. There, there are other kinds that are also fairly common, uh, that we'll talk about as well. But, uh, leopard geckos usually tend to be like in the nicest way possible, a little brain dead. In that they just kind of don't care about what's happening in the world around them, so they seem to be pretty chill. Um, mm-hmm. Mine, on the other hand, uh, she does not like uh, a lot of things. Uh, oh. So she does not particularly like to be handled. I also, especially when I first got her, didn't like 
work with her to get her comfortable with it as much as I probably should have. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So I haven't, you know, hung out and, and played, I guess, if you can play with a, a lizard, uh, you know, as, as much as some other people. But there are some other geckos, like I know a lot of the more arboreal geckos uh, like to come out and they'll jump around and stuff like that. So if you have one in your hand and just like hold out your other arm, they'll jump from your hand to your arm uh, and, and neat stuff like that. But yeah, so we're going to be talking about today. All the different varieties of geckos, the cool things that make geckos unique and really cool, uh, and then what we can of their fossil record, um, which is both better and worse than I probably thought it was. Um, but we'll talk about it. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to being the cutest lizards, they're also, by a, a pretty substantial margin, the most diverse group of lizards, uh, with the exception of snakes. So, snakes are a group of lizards. Uh, and so besides snakes, geckos definitely are, are the most diverse by, like I said, by a pretty wide margin. Um, How many are there? So there are seven families, 125 genera, and about 1,800 species. Wow. That is yeah. a lot of species per family. Yeah. Well, for the most part. I'll say yeah. there's probably, like, two of the families carry a lot of that weight. Oh, okay. Uh, I see. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the wide variety, what makes them neat, and, uh, like I said, a bit about their, their fossil record. So, uh, geckos, unlike a lot of other things that we've talked about on this uh, podcast before, you know, when we've talked about uh, humans, we were talking about the family Hominidae, we talked about... Um, cats, we talked about the family Felidae. Uh, as I mentioned, geckos are not just one family. There's one family of sort of true geckos, quote-unquote. Um, but specifically, geckos are the infraorder Gekota. If you've never heard the word infraorder before, I don't blame you. It's one of the weird ones that's like in between yeah, the traditional ones like that you learn. <laughs> Um, it's silly. Yeah. So it is slightly below order, um, but still above family. So, uh, but there's also suborders and super families that are also in between order and family. Uh, taxonomy is way more complicated than you learn in high school. <laughs> but yeah, so just know it is a larger group than a typical family. Of, uh, of animals. But like I said, seven yeah. families, 125 genera, about 1,800 species, and they are totally worldwide. Uh, the different families might have a more restricted range, particularly on sort of one side of the gecko family tree that are mostly found around Australia, um, but sort of on the quote-unquote main side of the gecko tree. Uh, I think every family has representatives in both the old world and the new world, uh, which is Pretty impressive for for such little guys. It's not like they're birds flying around. Uh, True. Yeah. And uh, yeah, speaking of size, even the largest gecko around today, uh, it's called the Lichianus gecko uh, from New Caledonia, which is an island sort of off the, the northeastern coast of Australia. Uh, the biggest one is only a little over a foot long, maybe like 14 to 16 inches, and weighs about mm. a pound. Okay. 
meanwhile, the smallest one is the Haragua Sphero. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But it is a little tiny gecko from the, the island of Hispaniola, which is uh, the island in the Caribbean that uh, the countries of Haiti and the, the Dominican Republic are on. Um, this little guy is three quarters of an inch long. Oh. And weighs 0. 0.13 grams. Or for us that use freedom units, three ten thousandths of a pound. That's so cute. That is 0. 0.0003 pounds. What do their babies look like? I don't know. Do they even <laughs> exist? At well, that point, they're just insects. We'll talk about, yeah, we'll talk about it. Geckos reproduce in a, in a very specific way, or at least their mm-hmm. eggs. Pretty uh, Spoilers. Pretty much all geckos lay two eggs, only two eggs. Um, <laughs> so... Um, and they all tend to be like a relatively consistent size compared to the, the body of the adult. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't even look up how small those babies are cause they must be so tiny. Yeah. Um, and just a little heads up, I'm going to do my absolute best to make this episode not super technical, but geckos have a whole lot going on with them. Um, that is really, really bizarre. So I'll I'll try my best, but there are gonna be parts that even I kind of don't understand because they get into some weird physics and chemistry stuff. Mm. Um, but we'll just keep that in your mind that you might not walk away perfectly understanding geckos because I don't perfectly understand geckos. Okay, that's science. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, so. Firstly, geckos are one of the most basal groups of lizards. That means that sort of their ancestors split off from the other lizards really early on in lizard evolution. Uh, And because of that, they are kind of sort of the quote-unquote default lizard body plan. Uh, Sort of, if you think of like what the first lizards kind of looked like, it's probably a gecko. You know, not something with a little more unique body plan of, you know, something like an iguana that is kind of bigger, very long tails, very, like, uh, unique digits, so all their fingers are really unique. Not things like monitor lizards that have very unique head shapes and really long uh, necks. Basically, the first lizards probably looked more or less like a gecko. Okay. Uh... And uh, particularly the ones without the sort of clingy toe pads, such as a leopard gecko. Right, they have more like nails, kind of. Yeah, most most geckos do have claws in addition mm-hmm. to their toe pads, the ones that have the toe pads. And we'll talk a lot about the toe pads. That's really where the geckos get complicated, is with the, the, <laughs> clingy, the clingy pads. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so most of them do have some kind of claws. There's a couple of species that don't. Most of them, for the most part, probably vestigial, if 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 they have the toe pads. Um, but yeah, so let's start off by talking about where the word gecko comes from. Because unlike a lot of other scientific names, it doesn't actually come from Latin or ancient Greek. It comes from a... Yeah, it comes from a corruption of a Javanese word, 
So Java is uh, an island in the Indo-Pacific, and it's actually, fun fact, uh, the 10th most common language in the world, which what? surprised me. Yeah. Uh, so very, okay. you know, widely spoken language, particularly in that part of the world. Um, but yeah, so it's a, a comes from a Jav- Javanese word that basically is what they called geckos because it, that sounds like the sound that geckos make. Geckos are one of the only really noisy groups of lizards. Okay. How's a lot that? of things, yeah, a lot of things like you think of like monitor lizards will hiss or snakes will hiss. That's not truly vocalizing. That's just moving air out of your lungs kind of differently. Geckos have true, like, actual vocal cords. Whoa. Yeah. And so I will, in in editing, sort of super cut in some calls of geckos because it, you know, it sounds much more like a bird chirping than, like, a, a monitor lizard hissing. Have you ever heard your pet gecko make noises? A little bit, but only when she was really young. Um, oh, okay. So, for leopard geckos specifically, they don't do it as a display call. Um, mm. So it's like uh, males and females don't call out to each other like that. You like you would think of sort of like a frog. Almost, they don't yeah. do that. Uh, leopard geckos only do it really as a defense. So I know, yeah, there's been a couple of times where, uh, when she was, you know, maybe a year or so old, um, where she just kind of forgot I was in the room (laughs) and I moved too quickly or something. And she would just like let out a chirp and run into one of her caves. Yeah, I know. And I always felt bad because they, you know, they only do that when they're stressed or afraid. So um, yeah, but yeah. So, uh, in, in addition to this, so I think particularly where it comes from is the, there's a particular species in this, in that part of the world, uh, like the Indo-Pacific and, uh, Southeast Asia called the toke gecko. Um, and it is the species gecko gecko. Whoa. That's its scientific name. So it's sort of like the original gecko. Um, yeah. and, uh, it makes a sound that sounds a lot like like a raspy voice saying gecko gecko um and so in the native language they called them geckos and that's where the word comes from um and so to to go along with this vocalization they also have really great hearing for reptiles and can hear a very wide range of frequencies. Mammals are much better at hearing generally than reptiles because we have more bones in our inner ear. Reptiles oh, okay. only have the one, um, whereas, I guess, middle ear, um, whereas mammals have three. So that oh. sort of increases the range 
of frequencies that we can generally hear. Um, but given all of that, uh, geckos have very good hearing for, for reptiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also starts off very early in their life. So their, uh, inner, their inner ear anatomy is basically fully mature at about two weeks after hatching. So, like, well, hearing what? is clearly very important to just how they live. Okay. And, like, how long does it take for them to become fully mature? Depends on the species. Probably a couple years. Okay. Um, so very yeah. early, comparatively. Right. But definitely before, you know, the rest of their body is mature. Cool. Um. Yeah, so a lot kind of still isn't understood about their calls, though, because it is really hard to make them make sounds on command. You know, it's, yeah, as I mentioned, right. they're not the smartest of animals. Um, they There are some quite smart lizards, things like iguanas and tegus and monitor lizards are quite smart and can be trained all, basically to do a lot of things that even like dogs can. Um, and if if they could chirp and make sounds, you probably could teach them to do it. But geckos kind of don't have the capacity to learn quite like that. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're smart enough to learn, for example, that like, you know, humans aren't going to eat me. Yeah. But to be trained to do a specific task like that, they most of them just kind of can't. Yeah, that, um, that makes sense. Yeah. And also, it's because it's hard to do that. You know, it's we don't understand a lot. But also, even if they are recorded making their sounds, they don't respond to playbacks of calls of their species. What? Yeah. So, you know, if you play, like, think of, like, whenever your dog has heard another dog barking on TV, at least with our dog, she reacts to that geckos don't mm-hmm. do that i don't know if they can somehow tell that it's a recording just by the the sound signature or something but they they just kind of don't respond when it's played back hmm. which makes it even harder to study exactly what they're doing uh, and right. why they're doing their calls um however they've definitely been observed just out in the wild using them in mating displays uh often males will fight each other uh, during like mating season and they're often quite noisy and very chirpy uh, while they're fighting. Uh, that's only in some species though. Uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, leopard geckos don't do that. They just sort of do it defensively. Um, but pretty much everything I, I read, like there's a whole literature review just about uh, gecko and other lizard vocalizations. And it was, you know, probably 40 pages long or so. I read the section about geckos and there's just a, doing anything with sound is very complicated. Oh yeah. And so I learned as little as I needed to, to be like, Hey, geckos make actual voice sounds, not just hissing, uh, and moving on. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but boy, if I thought that the vocalization was complicated, Let's talk about them feet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Geckos are very famous for being able to climb on just about anything. They because have of their toe pads? 
Yes. They have incredibly complex feet uh, that are not sort of like suction cups like some frogs have. Like if you see like tree frogs and things like that, that's almost like a just like a suction cup. And because their skin is just sort of permanently moist, they can climb pretty, you know, slick surfaces. Um, yeah. However, geckos are not like that at all. They have basically millions of these little tiny basically hairs on each foot and then each of those million hairs has thousands of little branches that come off of it and these are all like microscopic or even like nanoscopic whoa uh, yeah um uh, and they use a weird sort of aspect of the physics of static electricity to cling to things. This and is this confusing. Is, yeah, this is kind of where I started to get a little lost as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you look it up, you'll often see uh, what used to be thought of how it worked uh, using this term that I first learned about in uh, my geology education called Van der Waals forces. Um, mm -hmm. And there probably is a bit of this at work here. Basically, Van der Waals forces are a type of weak force. So there are, then that's with like a capital W in like atomic physics, there are capital S strong forces and capital W weak forces. Because um, mm -hmm. that's the level of physics we're talking about here is like atomic physics. Uh, but yeah, so Van der Waals forces are a type of weak force that happens when objects get, like, atomic scale close to one another. And it basically just helps them stick together, more or less. I, like I said, I first learned about it in my geology education because there are some minerals uh, called micas that grow in sheets of atoms. And these sheets stick together but they aren't, like, actually connected and are really easy to peel apart. Hmm. And the only thing holding them together, they're not chemically bonded in any way, but they're held together by these Van der Waals forces that, unless something comes and peels them apart, they will just stick together um, like, like a stack of papers, essentially. Um, but, yeah. That's what had for a really long time been thought how gecko feet work. Yeah. Recently, though, in probably the last five to ten years, uh, it's discovered that that's not the main part, but it's this weird static electricity thing. Again, I I don't particularly understand it because I'm I physics was by far the class, the science class that I was the worst in. Uh, yeah. So as I understand it. All those, like I said, there's millions of hairs, and each of those has thousands of little branches off of it. Those billions of connections, and that's with a B, billions, that all those hairs make with whatever surface they're on create so much surface area of contact mm -hmm. that the gecko just kind of sticks to whatever it's on. Wow. Yeah. And so... Uh, the only material that has been found to be gecko-proof is Teflon, 
and other mm. PFAS materials, so like uh, cooking pans and stuff like that, they can't stick to. Uh, but basically anything else. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. And what's even more insane is how strong the grip is. Because uh, a gecko, that is about two and a half ounces. And that's, you know, a, a pretty typical average gecko size, like a house gecko. I'm sure you've mm. seen those everywhere. Um, yeah, they, they tend to live in, you know, pretty tropical yeah. or subtropical places. But so yeah. that's that's a pretty typical gecko size. Yep. Uh, one of those can hold, at least based on the physics, should be able to hold about 300 pounds. Whoa. Yeah, so I I could suspend from the ceiling from a single, like, three or four inch long gecko. Which is crazy. Um, yeah. Obviously that but would obviously, kill the gecko because yeah. I'd be hanging on to right. it. But... <laughs> And, like, their bones probably aren't strong. Oh, jeez, no. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, but if you use one foot, one toe pad, or, yeah. like, I guess a collection of toe pads. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, and even more cool things about this toe pad structure is that it is self-cleaning. The way it moves as they walk, like, spits out any dirt or anything that would clog it up and keep it from making all those connections to whatever it's stepping on. Just the way they move their hands when they walk gets out all the little dirt particles and keeps them clean. That's um, crazy. Yeah. The way their toes bend, if you've ever seen like a close-up of a gecko walking, they'll sort of lift the toes up or like almost like peeling their toes up as they walk. Yeah. And that, uh, you know... They're not double-jointed, but they have, like, an extra ligament that pulls their toes back in that, you know, specific way. Um, mm. But, yeah, so they, they evolved their, their whole body just around these toes to be able to, you know, uh, climb on whatever they need to or withstand storms and stay on whatever, you know, tree they're living in. Um, yeah. In a way that, like... Like I said, there's never realistically going to be 300 pounds of force put on this little two and a half ounce gecko. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a uh, some really absolutely bananas stuff. Uh, I yeah. highly recommend looking more into gecko toe pads because they're crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it that, definitely that, seems yeah strange. Yeah, it is. I think one of the most interesting biological structures out there um and many people in like industry also think so there's been tons of uh research and development money put into developing like gecko toe pad materials uh it's fun you'll if you look it up you'll see lots of robots like made in like a gecko shape that they yeah. try to build uh toe pads for to be able to be like okay can we longer term do things like make boots or gloves for people to be able to for people to be able to climb stuff like that um so there's no shortage of really cool gecko uh human mimicry uh as we try to replicate their their toe pad material cool yeah uh a couple other 
cool things about them before we get into the actual couple groups of geckos. Uh, their skin's also really cool and unique. Uh, so while some geckos do have scales uh, that are more typical of lizards, most just have much like softer, just kind of bumpy skin. Um, the skin is really cool because it is antibacterial mm. and can kill bacteria like E. coli and chlamydia just on contact. Wow. Yeah. Uh, their skin is also hyperhydrophobic, meaning that their skin just naturally repels water, but like in a very extreme way. They basically just can't ever get wet. Like their skin just cannot be wet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really bizarre to see it when it happens. So sometimes my gecko will walk through her water bowl and yes. it, it looks like there's a plastic bag around her foot. Because there'll just be these air bubbles that are just completely insulating her foot from actually being in the water. Okay. Yeah. So, and it behaves this way because their skin is covered by these little tiny filaments that are basically, you know, roughly similar to what is on the toe pads. It's like these little microscopic hair type structures that just repel the water. Um and this allows some of the like smaller species of geckos to just kind of float on water, not because they're actually buoyant, but because their skin just can't get wet and they can't sink into the water. Yeah, yeah. See, moving on to some other things. Uh, like I mentioned, pretty much all geckos lay two eggs at a time. Uh, a couple species give live birth, but also to two babies. Really weird number. Yeah, I think, well, I think each one of their ovaries produces an egg is how they do it. Okay, makes sense. Uh, they're also ways. very yeah. They're also they're very variable in how the sex of their offspring is determined. Uh in mammals, it's all the the same well with the exception of the platypus and the echidnas, they do something a little different cuz they they lay eggs, but in most mammals uh it is purely based on the chromosomes, where females have two X chromosomes and males have an X and a Y. Obviously, it's a little more complicated because sometimes you can be born with two X's and a Y, or sometimes you could be born with just an X. But by and large, it is two X chromosomes female, XY chromosomes male. That's how mammals do it. Okay. And in this case, the sex-determining chromosome comes from the father. Hmm. That's how mammals do it. And usually it's and from the mother. Or wait, no. Sorry, not... That, this is, yeah, this is how mammals do it. Yes, okay. Um, and in, in some geckos, they also do this. Just some. In lots of other groups of animals, including birds, um, it's kind of the opposite, where the males have two of the same type of chromosome, and oh, females... Oh, I remember, yeah. Yeah, females are the ones with the two different versions. Uh, these are often called ZZ and ZW, mostly just to differentiate them from XX and XY. Yeah. Um, and in this case, the sex-determining chromosome comes from the mother. Some geckos do it this way. Not all of them, just some of them. Mm -hmm. And others do a somewhat more typical reptile thing in that... Uh, the sex of the egg is determined by the temperature in the part of the nest that it's in. Okay. 
for example, crocodilians do it this way. Um, I think a good handful of like snakes will uh, do this as well. And some geckos do this. And there's no consistency as to like this family does it this way. This other family does it this way. It's all just kind of independent and all over the place. Uh, so geckos <laughs> are just doing some, some weird things. Well, we've come to the conclusion that geckos are just weird. Yeah. And so let's let's talk specifically about some of these groups of weirdos now, some of the different subgroups of geckos. So uh, there are sort of like two main branches of geckos. There's the geckomorpha, which are your more sort of typical geckos, and then the pygopodomorpha, which are the weirdos, and we'll talk about them uh, in a little bit. But So we'll start with the, the quote-unquote normal geckos first. Uh, the sort of main family of geckos is called Gekonidae. And uh, like I mentioned, there's this particular family is about half of all geckos. Hmm. So there's, yeah, there's over 900 species in just this family found all over the Mm -hmm. world, but most concentrated in uh, Africa and Asia. And uh, basically though, if you live anywhere in the world where it is tropical to subtropical, these guys are all over the place. Uh, this includes Hemidactylus, which is the house geckos. Uh, generally small and generally cute and really good at pest control. If you have these around your house, you want to, them to be happy because they keep all the flies out, mosquitoes out, spiders, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, this includes the Toke gecko, which is that one that I mentioned before. Uh, the one whose name is Gecko Gecko. Uh, this is from... Southeast Asia, and is famous for its call, and also being very mean. Um, these are somewhat common as pets because they're very pretty, but boy, they are just very mean and will bite Aww. and are quite strong <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. Uh, also in this family, day geckos, which is what the Geico gecko was supposed to be. Nice. And my personal favorite in this family... Uh, uh, are a group called morning geckos, which are famous for being effectively an entirely female species. Morning as in, like, sunshine morning? No, morning as in you just lost someone that's important to you. Like your oh, your, your grandma just died. That kind of morning. I don't know why they're called that. Um, but, uh, like I said, famous for being effectively entirely female. Uh, they reproduce parthenogenetically, uh, meaning that they basically clone themselves. Um, they will get, you know, pregnant with eggs that are mm-hmm. essentially just genetic clones of themselves, which is crazy. Um, yeah. That's something that isn't particularly unheard of in reptiles, but isn't also all that common. Um, Mm -hmm. these guys do it kind of weird though, because, uh, as we've mentioned before, geckos often make very good pets and especially for some of the smaller species like morning geckos. These are, um, maybe four inches long or so, pretty small. Um, and with pretty much every other type of gecko, uh, it's, you know, not super common, but not uncommon to keep multiple females together. Because, uh, you, you know, you don't want multiple males together because they'll fight. The males do not like each other in pretty much any gecko species. Um, you don't want males and females together because then you'll get babies. 
but in most gecko species, um, you can pretty safely put multiple females together and it'd be kind of fine as long as your tank is big enough. Mm-hmm. Not with morning geckos, though. Because if you have one, it'll be fine. If you have multiple okay. females together, they will pseudo-copulate with one another. They basically go through all the motions of having sex. And that process stimulates them to reproduce and lay their eggs and clone themselves. They will not do it on their own. They have to be mated with. But That's obviously it's, it's two females, so like no genetics have been exchanged. They just have to go through the act, and then they will reproduce. That's awesome. So I, I love this Good whole... Good for them. I love yeah, that. exactly. Exactly. Just big claps. Female power. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I did mention earlier how it's effectively an entirely female species. Occasionally males are born, but for the most part, they're sterile. So it's like, mm. even when there are males, they can't reproduce anyway. Wow. Yeah. Really, so how do really they get genetic diversity? I don't know. Um, yeah. I That's think probably, I, I would assume that they probably have a pretty decently high natural mutation rate okay yeah and then even then uh when you are quote-unquote cloning yourself you know you can end up you know just through you know mixing and matching i don't know exactly how this particular species does it but you can sometimes filter out what some of your genes and just have two copies of one of your alleles oh okay i see yeah so say you okay, have, cool. yeah, you know, we, we can go have a whole episode about genetics, but uh, genetics, I'd have to look up a bit more about that. Yeah, genetics no, no, no worries, no worries. complicated. <laughs> yeah, um, keep going. Yeah, so like I said, this family, very big, uh, on top of all those other things, also includes uh, a variety of leaf-tailed geckos uh, that have really strange shapes and, and uh these sort of mossy-looking protuberances all over their body for camouflage up against trees. Uh, it includes some gliding geckos that have, like, webbed feet, uh, where they just jump and spread their feet and sort of glide. Some of them can glide, like, 200 feet <laughs> from tree wow. to tree. Um, definitely the most diverse and famous and well-known geckos are pretty much in this group. Um, and... Almost all of them have toe pads. There are a handful that have lost them and mostly live on the ground. Uh, these are, you know, the ones that lick their eyelids and everything. That's this group. Okay. Uh, the next family closely related to them is the Phylodactylidae, which translates to leaf toes. So these are called the leaf-toed geckos. There are 10 genera, 150 species, again, found all over the world. Not much super notable about these guys. They generally look very similar to the true geckos that we just talked about, uh, but their toe pads are sort of a bit a bit more complexly shaped. Not like the microstructure, just like the pad outline itself is just a little more complex. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the only difference between these and the ones that we just talked about, the Gekonidae. Cool. Next, we have the Spherodactylidae, uh, 12 genera, about 200 species, basically everywhere except Australia. Um, again, not all that much distinct about these guys. 
uh, a, a, quite a few of them have lost their toe pads altogether. Um, but the ones that do have them, they are very circular. And that's where the name spherodactylus comes from. That means sphere okay. or circular foot or d- yeah. hand, I think. Yeah, so, uh, and then the last family on the more normal gecko side of the family tree uh, is the family Eubleferidae, which are the eyelid geckos. These are the ones that don't need to lick their eyeballs because they have actual eyelids, just like you and I do. Um, And these are, for example, where leopard geckos fit. Oh, great. Yeah. And, uh... That's pretty much what these guys are most well-known for. I think almost all of them have no toe pads. Um, there are six genera, only 43 species, though. Most of them in the, are in the Old World. Uh, there is one genus that lives here in uh, southern North America, though. Uh, I found some when I was living out in the desert. Uh, cool. W- working in California, sometimes we'd come across them, and I was very surprised the first time because I didn't know they lived there, and they look very similar to leopard geckos, which are native to like Afghanistan uh, and that region <laughs> of the world. So I was very surprised to find uh, a very similar-looking yeah. lizard out in the California desert. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very common pets. A lot of your common pet geckos are in this family. Leopard geckos, African fat-tailed geckos, uh, cat geckos, all in this group. Um, This group is a a really good example of how many geckos and many lizards in general use their tails to store fat for long periods of uh, food shortages out in the wild. Oh, yes. Uh, Yeah, like a, a nice healthy leopard gecko will have like a big chunky tail and that's how you know that like they're they're being well cared for and uh, stuff like that. And it's also... Can't they, like... Sorry, can okay. they lose no, their no, tails, no. too? They sure can. That's what I was just going to talk about. Oh, cool. So many lizards can. Uh, it's called autotomize their tails. They have a dedicated joint with some muscles around it. Uh, I think it's like one or two vertebrae back from the hips that they just twitch these muscles and the rest of their tail pops off and can twitch, and the muscles in it will twitch for about 30 minutes after this tail has fully separated from the body, and they do that to sort of try and distract a predator. Um, wow. So that they eat the tail instead of eating the rest of it. Um, but yeah. Uh, most lizards can do that, but all geckos can do it. Some are more willing to do it than others. Um mm-hmm. So, for example, an adult leopard gecko is very unlikely to do it because it took them a long time to collect all that fat and store it in the tail. Yeah. And so that's, you know, their food reserves. So they're kind of unwilling to do it. Um, Whereas some other geckos are much more willing if they just get spooked or, you know, you walk into the room wrong. uh, They'll just drop their tail. And uh, when it grows back, they don't regrow the bone. Uh, they regrow cartilage in that space, oh. and typically the tail is uh, differently colored or maybe a little misshapen. Um, and there are some groups that don't grow back the tail at all. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so those are all sort of, like I said, your quote-unquote normal geckos. On the other side of the gecko family tree, we have the Pygopodomorpha 
which are the weirdos. There are three families in this um, group, and all of them are native pretty much only to Australia and the surrounding islands. So, first we have the weirdest family, which is the Pygopodidae, and this, you know, where the larger group gets its name. This means, like, flap foot, I think is what that translates to, which is very ironic, uh, because these are legless lizards. Oh. Yeah. How does that work? Isn't that just a snake? No. There are lots of groups of legless lizards. Um... Snakes are one particular group. So this particular group, there are eight genera and about 35 species. Um, they are very clearly geckos in that they have the vocal cords and they also will chirp and do things like that, like all the other geckos. They have sort of a rounder, fleshy tongue instead of like a slender, forked snake tongue. Um, they... Uh, you can tell just by looking at sort of their eyes. They will ha lick their eyes just like geckos do. Snakes have a, a transparent scale that they grew over top of their eyes, so they don't need to lick it. Uh, they all lay the same two eggs that geckos do in this group. So uh, they can be pretty big. They can be, you know, over two feet long or so. Um, so they... They look a lot like snakes. Their scale pattern is very different. Their head shape is very different. These guys have like a, almost like a doorstop shaped head. Yeah, so it's, especially if you look at its face, it, it's just, you can just kind of tell that it's not a snake. But the rest of their body, they do have um, very small uh, hind legs that are probably used in some form for reproduction somehow. But, you know, kind of unsure. Okay. Like I said, these guys live all around, mostly Australia. Uh, next to those weirdos on the gecko family tree mm -hmm. uh, is the next family, the Carphodactylidae. Uh, seven genera, 32 species. Again, just in Australia, surrounding islands. And these guys are sort of the leopard gecko equivalent for this group. They don't have toe pads. They generally live on the ground. Um, but these guys do some weirder things with their tails. Uh, mm -hmm. There are a couple genera of leaf-tailed geckos here that have like really excellent camouflage, but they also lack the toe pads, so they're not terrific at climbing. Mm. So I don't know how they really get up into the trees. They still have claws, like I mentioned, All pretty much all geckos have. Um, but yeah, so, but they have, again, the same sort of protuberances and different mossy growths on, on their skin uh, that help them blend into the side of trees and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. There's also a genus called knob-tailed geckos, which have sort of the body shape of a leopard gecko, but their tails are a lot shorter and thinner and then end with like a round knob at the end of their mm -hmm. tail that we have no idea what they use it for. Uh, they don't like yeah. use it to hit stuff with or anything. No Just idea. is the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's there's a couple of species in that genus, too. So it's, you know, not just one weirdo doing something. Uh, they're clearly doing it, doing something with it. But it's, uh, you know, I, I at least couldn't really find anything convincing for what they use it for. Mm -hmm. uh, and that brings us to the last family 
of geckos, the Diplodactylidae, 25 genera, 150 species. So uh, for the, you know, Australian region ones, these are sort of the most diverse. Uh, so these ones are the ones that are found in Australia, and then also notably New Zealand, and then the island of New Caledonia, which I mentioned earlier, sort of to the northeast of Australia. Uh, all of them have toe pads, except for one species that seems to have lost them. It, it used to have them, but this species evolved them away. Um, this is also where most of the ones that don't lay eggs are. Uh, all of the New Zealand ones don't lay eggs. And then I think there's one other species that doesn't lay eggs. But these guys sort of seem to fill the role of those gecconids. This is you know, like the Tokay gecko and the morning gecko and stuff. Uh, they sort of seem to fill that same ecological role mm -hmm. in Australia and, and New Zealand. Um, yeah. But there are a few oddballs, though. Mostly the ones on New Caledonia. Uh the genera Rachidactylus and Coriolophus have toe pad structures on the underside of their tails. I just love these names. I know, right? They're great. But yeah, so the underside of their tail has the same toe pad material. And they use it as like an emergency brake when they're jumping from branch to branch. Because their tail is also prehensile. What does that mean? They can wrap it around stuff. Oh. Yeah. And so this is, uh, like, crested geckos are in this group. Uh, that's another very common pet gecko. Mm -hmm. uh, this also includes that largest living gecko, uh, the Lichianus gecko, is uh, also in this group. Cool. So that is all the geckos that we have around today. So let's, uh, let's talk about some, some past geckos. Um, as we've talked about many times in the past, and as you might have guessed by this point, uh, when we're talking about small, generally arboreal animals, you know, living up in trees and stuff, they don't leave terrific fossils. Um, like I mentioned at sort of the start of the episode, geckos are one of the earliest branching groups of lizards to sort of split off and start doing their own thing. And that was pretty early on after the first lizards in general evolved. Uh, that sort of seems to be the case. We have a few fossils from the late Jurassic period, sometime around 150 million years ago, uh, with a lizard called Eichstatosaurus from Germany. Uh, it isn't quite a gecko, but has some gecko features, so it's probably an ancestral cousin, so not directly ancestral to geckos, but somewhere in that ballpark. Um, but we don't really have too much after that. Uh, the first real true geckos show up about 50 million years later uh, in the late Cretaceous. But this is where we see one of the perks of being so small living in trees. In that if you're that small and you live up in trees, you can get caught in tree sap. Oh. And then become amber. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, we have uh, a number of really well-preserved gecko species uh, preserved in Burmese amber from about 99 million years ago. And they basically, at this point, seem like modern, normal geckos. We have toe pads uh, fully preserved. We have uh, some really beautiful, like, 
from like shoulders up uh preserved in amber so it's like we get their full head we see their full scale pattern um we get really great views of their toe pads preserved uh just you can't ask for really better fossils (laughs) than that um (laughs) yeah so and they seem basically like modern geckos um i will say brief side note about uh uh, Burmese amber is that it is very morally dubious. Um, there's been a lot of reports of uh, potentially like forced labor used to to mine it. So there's been oh, a lot of people yeah. that have called for like paleontologists to stop publishing on it. Uh, that hmm. I kind of tend to agree with. Uh, we've talked about this quite a while ago on the podcast. Um, but s- since we're talking about Burmese amber, I feel like I just I feel obligated to mention that. Yeah. Yeah, as you should. We also have some other um, more recent fossils from amber uh, from the Dominican Republic. So that those fossils are from the Miocene, I believe. So uh, somewhere around 20 million years ago. We also have some from the Baltics region of Europe. That's a similar age that continue to give us some cool geckos. But again, they're just kind of your modern standard geconid geckos. So that's kind of it <laughs> in terms of gecko fossils, unfortunately. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the ones we have are pretty spectacular, but mm-hmm. we don't have a ton of them. Um, okay. Yeah, it's kind of similar to what we've mentioned with bats in the past, where it's like, yeah, by the time we see the first bats, they're already definitely bats. So it's, mm-hmm. we, we don't really know how they got there. So as for, like, how the toe pad structure evolved, we, we kind of just don't know. Okay. Um, but I will say, to end, we will... I want to talk about one particular weird species, because it has kind of a, an interesting story. Okay, uh, what is it? So as I mentioned, the largest species today is Rachidactylus leechianus, one of those new Caledonian uh, weirdos with the prehensile uh, emergency break tails. And great so about Yeah. Uh, about 16 inches long, about a pound or so. Uh, there was also a, a, another species from New Caledonia, that same island, called Gigacanum delcorti, that was about two feet long and three to four pounds, probably. Wow. So a, a, at least, you know, 50% larger and a couple times heavier. Yeah. That's the largest crazy. gecko that we've ever heard of or, or known. Yeah. But this guy has kind of a weird story. Why? Because it's not known from fossils. It is known from a single taxidermied specimen in a French museum from that was collected and taxidermied what? sometime between the 1830s and 1870s. Whoa. Yeah. And that is pretty much purely based on how it was taxidermied. So just by looking at it, you can be like, well, back in like the 1840s, this is how they taxidermied things. And so just based on that, because it was completely unlabeled in this museum, no idea where they had gotten it from, or even what this thing was. It it sat in this museum, unlabeled, 
until 1986. Wow. When someone found it and was just like, hey, what is this? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so there had been tales of a lizard of about this size and loose coloration and stuff uh, from the folklore of the Maori people of New Zealand. Uh, and so it was kind of thought that like, oh, you know, this probably it's, it's it was clearly a gecko. And there are large geckos from that part of the world. So they were like, oh, this is probably that one that they talk about that they have a word for. Um, almost similar to like what happened with the Okapi, which is a like cousin of the giraffes, where we didn't know about it until I think like the early 1900s. But like the native peoples in Africa where it lives would talk about it. But it's a very cryptic species that lives in the jungle. And so the native peoples that were like, no, there's definitely something out there. And the scientists were like, yeah, pish posh. Uh, hmm. You know, that's just, yeah. you know, something in your stories until eventually they did find one. So they probably, they thought this was like a similar case of like uh, this really rare animal that the, the you know, native peoples had talked about and have stories about, um, but had just not been found by science before. And so they tried to run some DNA tests on it, but because of how it was taxidermied and because it was pretty old, it just didn't really come out to anything. Um, so it was kind of assumed, okay, this is probably from New Zealand. Uh, some studies did kind of cast some doubt on that, though, because uh, I guess gecko bones found in caves on New Zealand are like really well sampled. So it's like, well, especially for one this big, we probably would have found some kind of bone from it if yeah, it was on New yeah. Zealand. And then, just in this year, in June of 2023, they were able to get some mitochondrial DNA from it. And it turns out it is from that group of New Caledonian geckos, just like the Lichianus gecko. So it's basically just like the, the big brother of uh, the Lichianus. And so... Like I said, literally like four or five months ago is when we finally figured out where this thing was from. Well, it's a good thing we didn't have this episode four or five months ago. Yeah. So that is, uh, that's geckos. Awesome. Yeah, these are... Super weird. Super weird. Like you, the, the gecko rabbit hole runs deep, guys. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Like, you could easily get a PhD just studying like their vocalization or like the toe pad stuff for sure. Um, there's so much to be learned here and so much uh, that we don't understand. And also they're just so stinking cute. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really excited. I'd been meaning to learn more about geckos for a long time. And uh, nice. yeah, no, I, you all know about geckos too. And that makes me happy. Yes. Thanks, Gavin. Well, thank you all for listening. And uh, thank you preemptively for tuning in in two weeks to listen to whatever Fee is going to tell us about. Uh, Mike will be back with us then. And we will see everybody in two weeks. Until then, take care, everybody. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Gavin Davidson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Fenella Campanino. It was sound edited and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you.